All right, everyone. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I believe this is like episode nine now. Um, with me today, I have Clay Adams. Clay is uh, a writer and creator of Fried, uh, Fried Comics, is uh, his publishing company. He's uh, written s- some great comics like uh, Pregnant Bitches of War, uh, Dead Skins, uh, Red Xmas, and the Nightmare Theater anthology that I am actually a part of. So, Clay, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah. So, uh, Clay, first off, I want to say I'm a, you know, a big fan of yours. I've been following your work for quite some time from, uh, uh, I always, I always feel weird saying it like pregnant bitches of war. Like it's like, you <laughs> like, do you, do you say it like, does that come out a lot? Like does that come up a lot on interviews? You know? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's funny. Like, like now we mostly just call it PBOW. And it's like okay. either either you know what it stands for or or you don't. But uh, but yeah, pe- people either love that title or they hate it. And it's uh, it's meant to be it's meant to be tongue in cheek, of course. Um, and and what's what's funny is uh, I I once went into my local comic shop, and I came in. I was going to pick up my my pull box, and and the guy behind the counter saw me. and He was like, "Oh hey Clay, I got your comics right here. Yeah, uh, hang on one second. And he starts going through the box. And I, I, I walk up, my, my kid's with me, and he goes, uh, hey, um, uh, you know, it's really funny, Clay. I was, uh, I was looking online, and I saw a comic writer that had your name. And I was like, oh, really? Well, it, it, maybe it's me. Like, what, what were the name of the books? And the guy paused for a second, and then he goes, pregnant, b-, and I said, oh, yeah, that's me. And then there was a, <laughs> a big pause, <laughs> and then he goes, you look so normal. <laughs> that's probably the greatest compliment ever though <laughs> yeah it's funny there was a there was a woman in line behind me and she said well maybe he just gets all of his stuff out in his comics and uh and that's probably true <laughs> uh, it's it, uh did he did he happen to read it because it's uh it's a it's a really good book like it's a great book i love the uh it's funny you know i have a i have a kid i appreciate the book now more as a father i have a, I have a one-year-old uh-huh. at home and if I would have read this that book before going, you know, uh, my wife being pregnant, I wouldn't have appreciated it as much as I do now. That is awesome. That is like, uh, honestly, that's like the best compliment. And because I, you know, when when we came up with this idea, it's it co-written with Alexander Philippe, who um, who works with me on all the fried stuff. And um, and when we came up with this idea. Uh, I had two young kids at home, very young kids, and um, and had been through, you know, a couple of pregnancies and and had a lot of anxiety about being a father and and how do you bring a kid into this world with all these problems and excuse me. And that's really what we wanted to explore. And um, and also, you know, there was sort of the tongue in cheek aspect of like, well, who's who's the least likely action hero we can think of? But then also, like, my wife has never been so badass as when she was carrying a baby, um, you know, much less delivering a baby. Like, I, I you know, I wouldn't be able to handle that, you know, that, that amount of pain. Um, and then and then to, like, want to do it again a second time. You know what I mean? So um, so we're definitely playing with a lot of things there. So uh, so anyway, that that makes me feel good that you say that. I, uh, you know. I feel the exact same way. Like after you know, watching my wife give birth, I think my my first initial thought was, if it was up to men to give birth, 
our species would be extinct. We'd be doomed. Yeah, there would be no way. There'd right. be absolutely no way. <laughs> like after after afterwards, I was just it's still it's it's, it's seared in my brain as the most beautiful chaos. Uh, yeah. In the in the universe. <laughs> yeah, my I mean my my wife still to this day she'll talk about it. She's like when 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 she gave birth to my daughter, she was like, you just walked around for like three months looking at me like I was this goddess, you know? And I was like, cause you were, I just saw you do the most amazing thing. Yeah. It's pretty literally incredible. magic. You created, nope. you created a person that didn't exist <laughs> out of nothing. Yeah. It was yeah. incredible. Do, do that again. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, it, it is wild. And it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it seems when when you talk about it, right? Like when you just the title or, or when you're, you're you're describing kind of the concept of the book, it seems um, it seems a lot harder to grasp than the way you guys wrote it. And you wrote it. I, I was really blown away from the first panel with with Hitler, which I thought was amazing. Uh, all the Thank way you. to the the, uh, the Tesla stuff and. And everything after that, um, I'm trying not to spoil it because I, I really think it's a really great first issue. Um, how, how was the writing process for that? Because I felt like there was a lot of things you probably had to juggle and, and figure out. And it just it just seems like a really complex thing to, to navigate. I was really impressed by it. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, it was definitely um, we were thinking about a lot of things. We. Uh, I mean, this was our first comic we ever wrote. So we were um, we were probably biting off way more than we could chew. But um, but we knew, you know, we knew we wanted to hit you with that first image. And of course, you know, that's that's the whole it's the whole save the cat thing. Right. Like, think about your first image, your opening image or, you know, really, it's it's any it's any screenwriting book. We'll, we'll tell you that. What's the opening image? What's the closing image? And um, so we knew we wanted to have a really striking opening image. And then of course, we're, we're riffing on motherhood and, and you know, what do you associate with that? Well, of course, breastfeeding. And so that's where we came up with the, the whole Adolf Hitler thing because we also knew this was gonna be a time travel book. And then of course, anytime you talk about time travel, the question always comes up, well, what would you do then, you know, would you go back and, and kill a, a baby Hitler or, or a young Hitler? And so, um, so of course we started thinking down that road and like, well, okay, well let's, let's create this world where these six pregnant women are accidentally plucked from the time stream by mad scientist, Nikola Tesla. And, uh, and they go back in time. They're, they're, they're plopped down in pre-World War One Germany, uh, and, uh, and, and accidentally kill a young Hitler. But then you know, because of the butterfly effect and, and we can't really say, right. That if you go, this is why time travel stories are so difficult to write because, because you can't just say, well, I'm going to go back in time and I'm going to end slavery or I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, kill Hitler or I'm going to do all these things that we think would, would obviously make the world better because we don't know what the unintended consequences are. So we just kind of started thinking, well, what if, what if that's not the magic bullet that everybody thinks, uh, you know, it, it would be? What if there's someone worse waiting in the wings? And now and now that that Hitler's out of the way, there's just somebody so much worse that comes forward. 
Um, and so that's that's sort of really where where we took it. And yeah, we we really tried to we really wanted to make that first issue a satisfying read, really kind of give you a sense of who all these characters are. And um, and, you know, it definitely has a grindhouse quality to it. Um, and that's sort of what we're what we were going for. You know, I, I, I look back on it now because we probably came up with the idea about a decade ago. And then, um, and then slowly started developing it and maybe had the first issue done in 2012, 2013. Um, and then the rest of the issues were done fairly quickly throughout 2013, 2014. But, um, but that first issue, we really did a lot of work on to try to make it so that you're just, you're, you're boom, you're in the world with that first image. We reel you in, you meet the characters. And I, um, I am I am proud of that issue. It's it's uh you know the the series is maybe not to everybody's taste, but um but it's uh I I feel like we did a lot of things right and I and I read it and of course you always see the things that you do wrong, but I but I read it now and I and I am still proud of it. I I I do think it holds up. So I I do appreciate you saying that. Oh yeah. I mean it's uh you know I I really enjoyed it and uh it was you know it was one of those things um that as I'm reading the the one question I had that like I couldn't wait to ask you was you know with what was the what was the hardest part writing writing that book because like like we said you know it's not for everyone's not for everyone's taste you're, you're dealing with time travel and pregnant women which is a really weird thing to say back to back uh, right <laughs> uh, uh, and and Tesla and there's a lot of, like but what what was the hardest thing was it like just getting the 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 voices of the women down because i would you know um as a guy you know um i would think sometimes that that would be difficult uh you know um was it just figuring out um the the time travel aspect the outlining the plotting i know you mentioned save the cat was it you know hitting the beats that you wanted to where was kind of the the hang-ups that, that you found and how did you overcome them yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, we did. I mean, we did work from an extensive outline. We outlined the full. Um, so the first volume was five issues that we that we produced back in 2013, 2014. And we did a full, very extensive outline for that. And then we broke down each issue individually so that we would have a solid outline. Because again, we wanted people to feel like they had a really solid, meaty read in each issue. And, um, yeah, getting the, you know, getting the, the women's voices was difficult. Like one, one thing that I've learned, I think partly from acting is that, you know, you know, each character needs to sound different and sound unique. Um, and, and I think, I think we mostly got that right. I think there are some some uh, some times maybe in that first issue where you know it's like well maybe everybody seems like the sarcastic one or you know like or one or one or two of them maybe feels too much like the sarcastic one. But I think there there is a reason why like when you when you watch movies or you watch TV shows or whatever like that it's that there are so many of these tropes like there's the dumb guy there's you know the lothario um because it makes it really easy to then figure out what what the voices are so then um because ideally no two characters should sound the same 
And it's um, and I always think of it like I, I took a comedy writing class once that talked about the difference between hard comedy and soft comedy. And and hard comedy was comedy that could only work if it was said by this one specific character. Right. Like you can't give Kramer's lines to Jerry and they just wouldn't work. Right. It's only funny because it's Kramer. And and so that's hard comedy. And then soft comedy is that is that stuff that's well, it's fu- it would be funny no matter who said it. Right. And and when you're writing comedy, you want most of your stuff to be hard comedy, that character specific stuff. And, and the soft comedy, it's like, okay, you can, it's kind of, it's kind of cheap, you know, it's like, you know, anybody can make a fart joke. Right. Um, and so you kind of like want to, want to stay away from that, but, um, but you want to kind of kind of have a mix. So, um, that's probably a long way of saying that, yeah, trying to get those voices right and figuring out that, okay, only Birdie could say this, you know, only Leslie will say this, only Bristol talks this way. And so then once we kind of hooked into that, that kind of made it a little bit easier because we started to know, you know, who would react a certain way. And it kind of developed that the character of Leslie turned out to be kind of a nerd. And so we were able to give her, I don't even know where that came from, but uh, it's like in the second issue, we sort of wrote something that, um, that we kind of went, Oh, Oh, she's a nerd. Um, and, and, you know, there's a whole lot of other things going on with that character, but, but we thought that was kind of an interesting aspect that it was like, it just gave this character another dimension that maybe you wouldn't necessarily think of to look at this person. And it just kind of rounded out that personality and made it that much easier to write that character. And so I think, um, you know, probably, probably that more than anything else. Although I have to say on that book, I was really learning structure. Part of the reason why I, I hooked up with Alexander in the first place to co-write is that he has such a brilliant story mind. And I think at the time, you know, I was probably more, uh, my strength was probably more in dialogue, writing snappy patter. And so um, so I think the marriage of the two of us worked really well. Um, and then, of course, you know, you, you try to work on your, your weaknesses and make them strengths while also hoping that your strengths don't become weaknesses. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely see that. Uh, that was going to be one of my questions and you, you, you answered it for me. I really, I really like how all of the characters definitely have their own, their own tone, kind of their own vocabulary and even a, a cadence when you're reading it. Uh, like I love when, when Tesla, like when he like sees something, he says, God, it's been a while since I read the book, like something Bennett, right. Or Benedict. Yeah. Or, Gordon Bennett. Yeah. Yeah. Gord, like just reading that, like, I'm like, Oh man, like he's saying sh- like, Oh crap or shit. <laughs> right. But like it's, it's Tesla. So he would say this, but like, um, bringing that type of dialogue, I, I was, it felt really refreshing because sometimes when you're reading comics, you don't really get that. Like I, I definitely right away felt a, like I definitely uh, knew who Birdie was. Like she talked a certain way and they, they all definitely had a, their own kind of rhythm. And so um, I, I definitely, I definitely saw that uh, in the writing. Um, and I think it's really cool that you, you had a, a co-writer that, focused more on the structure where you were focused more on the dialogue and the characters. Now you, you said what you guys did like an extensive outline 
Um, is that something that you continue to do? Do you kind of uh, shy away from that more now? Like how, how, do, how does your more current work go? Yeah, so these days, um, you know, I'm, I'm writing a lot more things by myself now. You know, I used to, I used to co-write a lot and Alexander and I co-wrote a lot of things. He's gotten very, he's, he has a very successful career as a documentary filmmaker. He makes movies about movies. So he does, um, 7852 about the Hitchcock shower scene, which is on Hulu right now. Um, he, he did the people versus George Lucas that a lot of people might've heard of. Um, and just, uh, memory, the origin of alien. So, so he's very, he's very busy now kind of doing that, but we outlined, you know, we outlined a whole second volume of PBOW and had ideas for, for third and, and fourth and, and all kinds of, uh, volumes down the line. So, um, so right now I'm, I'm working off of those outlines to, to make the second volume of PBOW come to life. And, um, one of the, one of the, uh, I guess, more fortunate sides of this pandemic is that uh, Alexander's travel has been curtailed. So he, before where he might have been booked up at film festivals or off shooting or something like that, he's kind of been stuck in one place. So we've actually been able to chat and go over these scripts and, and work on them together, which has been great. Um, but these days, usually if I'm writing by myself, I will try to get away from the computer and I will try to write by hand um, just just for the outline. And I will just sort of set myself an exercise where it's like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna take my notebook and my pen and and you have to get you know a notebook that you like and a pen that that writes really well that you like writing with. And I will go off to a room that that I don't associate with work. So it's not a it's not a room I sleep in and it's not a room I work in but it's just some place where I can go and relax and be. And then I will say, okay, I don't have any ideas for a story right now. I don't know how I'm going to fill up all these pages, but I just sit down and I start writing. And usually something pretty decent comes out and I can, I can sit down and I can write the full story. And it's kind of like improv, you know, you're just sort of saying, okay, I'm going to accept that I just wrote this thing. Well then what if I say, okay, I accept that. And now what can I add to it? And you just kind of go along until you reach the end. And it's, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to quote the, um, the dearly departed, dearly missed, newly departed, brilliant guitarist, Eddie Van Halen, who used to say that playing a guitar solo was like falling down the stairs and landing on your feet. And that's how I feel about outlining is that when I'm sitting in that chair with my book and my pen and I'm just writing, I'm just falling down the stairs, but I'm trying to land on my feet. And if I can do that, then when I feed it into the computer, I can then start changing things where it's like, okay, I have to set up this thing better. I need to add this beat to make this other beat later on work. And really that's, that's all it is, is that once you realize what the ending is, you can kind of start to make connections through, through the story and then, and then just go back and try to better set that up in your second draft. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's really interesting that you say that you, uh, you write by hand because I, I also do a similar thing. I, I write by hand all of uh, 
um, I don't want to really call it a first draft, but I guess I'll call it a first draft. Right. Like I, I'll, I'll write, um, I'll write by hand, like almost like a prose version of what that issue would be. Like, it's yep. not going to have like panel by panel, but it's like, all right, opening scene. And I'll just start writing and then oh, some dialogue will come in and I'll jot some dialogue down. And it feels, and I, I don't know, it feels psychological to me. Um, Cause when I go to the computer, that feels more permanent even yeah. though it's less permanent, if that makes any sense. Yeah, like, yeah, for sure. Like when I go to the computer, I, I just, I want to, once I have it down, I can go to the computer and then I, then I go page one, panel one, so on and so forth. Um, but when, before I even get to that, I have like a, a good thick notebook or yellow legal pad, whatever I have on me, um, kind of filled up with that story already. Yeah, that and and that is what is what I love about this method is that you're right. Like it does feel more permanent because you are writing in ink and you can't white it out, but it's like no one's going to see this notebook, you know? But but something about sitting in front of that computer makes you feel like this has to be the final version. And something about just handwriting it makes you more open to play. And that's and that's really what you need to be doing at this stage is you're just playing and maybe this will be good. Maybe it won't be good. But yeah, it's, it's the same thing for me that, that at that, at that stage, when I'm writing in a notebook, I'm not breaking things down into panels or anything like that. I'm just telling the story as if I was sitting down next to you at a bar and I was going to tell you the story of what happens here. And then once I get it into the computer, that's when I can start breaking it down and saying, okay, well, you know, this is what happens on this page. This is what happens on that page. And then once I have that, you know, once that's set, the page stuff is set, then I can start breaking it down individually into panels. And then after that, I will usually then start to dialogue. And, and ideally I'd love for my panels to be set by then, but sometimes it's like, okay, well, you know what? I started writing this dialogue and I actually need something else. So I'll make little tweaks here and there. So it's sort of like editing each time you go through, you're just sort of refining and refining and refining. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. You're, um, you're like the third or fourth creator I've talked to that kind of writes the pages in the panels and then does dialogue separate, or then sometimes has dialogue that, um, then makes panels around is that something that you do all the time or is that just kind of the way it just kind of shakes out because i'm like i'm the complete opposite i kind of have to do it all as i go if that yeah makes, like it's it's a very late like it's very cumbersome like right but it's just the way i've accepted that's how i work yeah that's you know like whatever works for you is definitely the way you should go i i because my train, I, I went to um, I went to film school. Like I went to NYU in the dramatic writing program, and so we were always trained for for screenwriting that you write the visuals first, and then you dialogue. Because you because theoretically you should be able to to tell the story just in images, right? So. So any movie in theory should be a silent movie. You should be able to turn off the sound and tell exactly what's going on. And I do think like I, I did that um, fairly recently with, uh, with Tim Burton's Batman, which, um, which is brilliant visually. I think it, it has some story problems, but it's brilliant visually. And, and you really can just turn off the sound and just watch the visuals and you can follow it perfectly. Um, 
So that's still sort of the way I write. I think I still have a bias towards that way of working. But and it, once you start adding the dialogue in, that will sometimes change what those visuals are. You'll either figure out like, well, you know, I can't cram all of this dialogue into this panel. I need to let this moment breathe a little bit more. So I might have to cut that, you know, genius panel I wrote and, and rethink it. Or, um, or you figure out, you know, for, for whatever reason, you know, you wrote the dialogue and you're like, oh, I, I don't, I either don't need a panel or you need another panel. Um, you just sort of start to realize kind of what you need. And it, and it also, to me, it seems less daunting. Like if I sat down and I was like, I've got to write an entire script that would, that would be like so pressure filled. I couldn't do it. But if it's like, all right, you know what? I got an hour and in this hour I can break this script down into pages or in this hour, I can break some pages down into panels or in this hour, I can dialogue some of these pages. And just that little psychological trick of just sort of breaking it up, um, it, it kind of makes the whole thing feel a little less painful. And um, at least it, it, it tricks me into sitting down and actually doing it. Yeah, I, I, I think, um, you know, half the battle sometimes with uh, a lot of writers is just doing it. Like there's yeah. nothing, there's nothing. And I think a lot of people call it writer's block, but the longer I, I've been doing it and I've been talking to more people recently, it seems the, the biggest barrier isn't the doing it. Like we all like to do it. That's why we write. It's the, 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 that like moment right before, just the thought of doing it is what's scary. And I right. think it's, I think it's the having unlimited freedom is paralyzing. Yeah. Like you yeah, can it, it is. You you can literally go anywhere and do anything, and that's scary. Like that thought, like in that that actual reality, that you know, unlimited freedom, you can do whatever you want. You're like, oh man, that's that's paralyzing. Like, wh what do I do? It's that it's that fear that you're gonna mess it up, right? Because it's perfect in your head, yeah. and and as soon as you put it down on paper, you've made it imperfect, and and you just don't want to screw it up. But, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of professional writers will say deadlines get you over that very fast. You know, like when you're, when you have to turn it in by a certain point, it has to be done. You just kind of have to sit down and do it. And I do think, I do think changing up your processes, you know, like, because Bill, Bill Colombe asked me this actually on, uh, I was on his podcast and he was kind of like, you know, do you have any advice? Because I've, you know, I've got to write this issue of this comic and I just have no ideas. I don't know what to do. So I, I, I gave him that advice about like, just get away from your computer, take your, take your pen and notebook to a room that you don't associate with work and just write by freehand and, and just outline a story. And he was like, that was crazy. That, that worked like magic. You know, he was like, I, I thought I was blocked. I thought I had nothing to say. And he said, I just sat down and started writing and suddenly I had, I had a whole issue. And, and it really is just sort of giving yourself that freedom to, to just sit down and play. Yeah. And I think big shout out to, uh, to, to Bill, he's a buddy, buddy of mine as well. I, I gotta, we gotta do a, a pod. If, if Bill's ever listening to this, we gotta do it like a crossover podcast. Um, it would be great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love Bill. He's awesome. Um, I think it's Chuck Felinus, the guy who does uh, Fight Club. I believe he writes. That oh, yeah. Too. He, he, he was like, uh, he's like, I don't, all of my writing, I do in notebooks. He's like, I want it messy. I want to be able to scribble stuff out. 
I want to be able to misspell things. I just want to yeah. go and just have have as as much fun as possible and not judge myself while I'm writing. And then once you know the last component of it is me just typing it into the computer. That's not even work anymore. That's just me typing, which I right. think is kind of going to what you're saying. And I do a very similar process. My the what's what's interesting uh, about my process is I want to say. 90% of my writing is just me thinking. Um, I don't, I really just usually sit around whenever I have time. Uh, and it's usually at night before I go to bed and um, while I'm laying in bed and I'll just hit play on the movie and just let my mind kind of, I, I, I kind of try to make as much room as I can in my head for the story. And then once I got that down, then I kind of grab my notebook try to put it down on paper before it dissipates into nothing. And then right. from there, that's when I go. So it's like I do most of my writing in my head, then I go and write it longhand, and then I hit the computer. So it's almost like by the time I'm actually scripting, it's like the third version of it. That's great. Yeah. So, did, so when you said that thing about like hitting play on the movie, you're talking about like hitting play on the movie in your head, right? Correct. Yeah. That is super cool. Like, um, have you ever read uh, Dorothea Brand's Becoming a Writer? I have not. I've read. I've read almost all. So I, I, uh, I, I went to. I got a creative writing degree with a concentration in screenplays. So like okay. a lot of a lot of the the, the books and references you're um, telling me, I've I've like read them all. But that's one I haven't. So I'll have to write that. What's it called? It's called Becoming a Writer by Dorothea Brand. And it's it's super old. It's not like this. I think I came across this in Ray Bradbury's book on writing mm. where he recommended it. So it's a, it's a super duper old book that's been around forever that is essentially The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. It's like okay. it's like The Artist's Way, but written in like 1920 or something like that. Okay. Um, so it's 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 super old timey quaint language that you know if if you like that kind of stuff it's it's kind of fun, um, but one of the things she talks about like it, how important that thinking process is, and how you ha as a writer you have to give yourself time to do that and that's why so many writers go on walks right like Stephen King is always talking about go go, go on a walk. Because she talks about how, like, as you're walking around, you kind of, you know, your 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 body is moving, but your brain is free to kind of think about other things, and that's why um, that's why people have all these ideas in the shower, right? Mm. Um, because because your your brain is still active, but your body is doing something just on autopilot. And so that frees up your brain to really think. And so she talks about taking a walk and thinking about the story while you walk, but then coming back and laying down. You don't go to your you don't go to write quite yet. And she says just like lay down on the floor, close your eyes and just relax. Let the story leave your head at that point. And just relax. And then at a certain point, you'll know it's time to get up and and then you get up and start writing. And this sort of resonated with me because I, I read something in a Batman comic, I swear, years ago. It was uh, the, the writer Alan Grant, you know, who used to do Judge Dredd, and, and then he, he worked on detective comics and uh, with Norm Brayfogle. But 
he said something in an old issue of Detective Comics. He wrote some column or something where he talked about how that was part of his process, that he would turn off the lights, lay down in his office for about 15 minutes. And it wasn't a nap. It was just clearing the head. And then he would jump up and write. And that's always been a really effective um, effective method for me. So um, anyway, anyway, I, I, I thought you might be interested in reading that book if you, uh, you know, if, if that's already kind of how you work. It might, it might confirm some, some biases you might have. Yeah, it's, uh, I, don't, I don't know why. I, I believe, I want to say Jason Aaron talked about a similar process. Like his wife, he'll like just be like staring out the window. And his wife yeah. is like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm writing. <laughs> like and right. he's just like staring out the window. Uh, I'm working. And I, yeah, and uh, whoever the writer is who wrote um, Michael Claiborne and uh, Born, Jason Bourne series, and his name yeah. is escaping me. Whoever wrote that, he uh, mm-hmm. he said something very similar. He says, "I can't start writing a script until I've created the headspace." So I just right. sit in I just sit in my office and look at the ceiling, and everyone comes in and asks me what I'm doing, and he's like, "I'm writing." <laughs> and uh, it's it's when I sit down for me when I sit down and I whether I'm I'm writing or outlining usually it's just me regurgitating whatever you know daydream I had you know was having and usually right. you know um, if I try to do it cold what I end up doing is doing that but like in the written version so it's almost like word vomit on the page, mm-hmm. but really what I'm doing is just make believing until I can get that movie in my head going. And then I just kind of hit play and just record it. If that makes any sense. Yeah. That's really cool. I like that way of thinking about it. Yeah. It's uh, it's uh, it's definitely, it's definitely, you know, I- I've talked to a-, a bunch of different writers now and it's just really interesting to me how we all do the same thing. And, and it's, it's, but everyone kind of has their own take on it. And it's, you know, it's not one size fits all. Everyone kind of, does their own thing and what makes it work for them. And right. what I find interesting is a lot of writers like to kind of talk about their process, but never really do. Cause it feels <laughs> like, it, it kind of feels like no one knows what they're doing. And so like, you're like, Oh, well, no one really cares about that. Like I sit in outline and blah, 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 blah. But I, I just, I find it interesting. And I found that um, there's a lot of people who want to hear other people do it because maybe they haven't found the way that works for them yet. Yeah. And, and I think that's like, I used to always read those things on writing that I would, I would think of it like it was like a blueprint, like, oh my God, I have to do this, right? If I don't do this, I'm not a real writer. This is what real writers do, right? And then, and then you start getting like super tense, right? Because it's like, well, I, I got to do this. I got to do this because some, somebody said in the screenwriting book that, that you have to outline and you have to write a vomit draft and then you have to write a mechanical draft and then you have to write, you know, uh, whatever. Um, and I, and I, really like once I realized that like, oh no, I don't have to do any of that stuff. I have to figure out how to make this story come to life for me and how to make it so that I'm having fun. And then once I'm having fun, hopefully the reader is going to have fun too. And, and if they don't, then, then they're not my intended audience. And, you know, I, I can't really worry about them so much, but, but yeah, like just, understanding what writers do. I I like the way you put that, that it's like, we all kind of do the same thing, but in our own little way that we figured out how to make it work for us, 
so that it so that it doesn't feel like this rigid thing. It really it really should feel like play. Yeah, I I, I can't believe I'm gonna um, quote him, but uh, I believe Alan Moore had this quote that you need to um, create without fear of success or failure, and just kind of just create for the sake of creating, and yeah. like. You know, now that I, you know, I've, I've a bunch of young nieces and nephews. I have uh, a young daughter myself. And just watching them play, that's essentially what we're doing. But it's like the grown-up version of it. It's totally. like, it's like if you could just let go of wanting, you know, wanting to be the next, you know, I, you know, next, you know, Eisner winner or the, you know, the, the, the fear of everyone's gonna call you an idiot. And if you just do it to have fun it's going to be so much better and it's going to resonate with a lot more people because you're able to then put yourself into it without any type of um, self filter. And I saw right. a lot of that. And the reason why I'm talking about this, I, I felt a lot of that with uh, PBOW, if I said the acronym correctly. <laughs> you uh, did. Yes. I, I, I felt a lot of that in that, like, it was just like, you guys are having a lot of fun and uh, you know, kind of coming full circle with that like i i definitely i definitely felt that with that with uh with that series oh thanks man yeah th i mean that was really that was the whole point of it you know we were like if we're not having fun then what's the point and and it was definitely that series was definitely a lot about play you know it's it's not necessarily the most logical book um, you know, if you're looking for something, you know, something really deep on time travel, maybe that's not for you. But if you if you like sort of an anything goes, anything could happen kind of kind of thing, we wanted to always kind of shock ourselves and and keep, you know, keep ourselves on our toes. And, and hopefully that would keep the reader engaged. So that's uh, that's great feedback. Yeah. And I think you guys accomplished that for sure. Um, kind of moving in a little different direction. Uh, let's kind of talk about nightmare theater. What's yeah. it been like? And, you know, uh, first off, thank you so much for you know, asking me to be a part of it. And, you know, it was, uh, it was awesome to be a part of it. So thank you. Um, oh, I'm glad you are. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, but what's it been like to change kind of put a, put a different hat on and, and be, uh, in a different role, the editor's role. It has been very cool. Um, I have to say, I really like that role, and I didn't, I didn't know that I would. I, I, I interviewed many years ago to be, um, to be an editor at DC, an assistant editor, um, and I, I interviewed on uh, the Superman team and on the Batman team, and I think the Batman team was kind of set, but I thought like I might have a shot on the Superman team. But then literally I'm in my interview and like everyone quit on the team. Like, like I'm literally sitting in the interview and like the door opens and it's like, oh, hey, by the way, um, everybody just quit. So there is no Superman team anymore. And, and at that point I was like, oh, I am not going to get this job because I have no editorial experience. I've never worked on anything. They're not going to want to train you know, like they're going to want to hire people that know what they're doing for this role. Um, so that is a I, hard interview, man. That is a it tough it was, it was a very tough interview. Um, and I, oh man, I, I could, I have so many drinking stories for that. Uh, for next time we go out to a, a, a bar, if I see, if I see you at a con, well, uh, I'll tell you more stories about my, my interviews there. But, um, 
but I always felt like that was kind of like the job that got away, you know, I, I, because I really did feel like I, I was close. I had, I had somebody who worked on editorial there who was going to bat for me. I had somebody else who was very prominent in the industry who was, who was going to bat for me. And I, and I really felt like I was going to get this thing and, uh, and it, it just all crumpled like a house of cards. But, um, but I always kind of felt like I would enjoy that role. And so putting this together really, um, really has confirmed that, you know, I, the, I guess David Schrader approached me about a year ago and was like, Hey, we, we know all these people in the comics industry, we should put together some kind of anthology. And, and we talked about it and we said, you know, I said, you know, horror always sells. People always want horror. And I think we know so many people in the horror space. And, and besides that, like, even if it's not somebody in the horror space, it's somebody that, that we know could turn in a great horror story. So, so we picked the, the genre and it, it felt nice and natural because I first met uh, Dave, David Schrader, who's the, my co-editor. I first met him almost a decade ago. Um, you know, maybe, maybe seven or no, more than more than a decade, 17 years ago, almost 20 years ago, um, doing a, doing a horror movie out in Los Angeles. Um, I was playing the lead and he had co-written it and was co-directing it and producing it. And so it felt natural to, um, to go back and do a horror thing with him. You know, it just felt like it was right. But, but Dave really did the lion's share of recruiting because he's, um, he has a book out with Action Lab called Baby Badass. And so he was doing the, um, the con circuit really hard. So he had really made all of these connections. So, so I kind of let him, uh, take point on really doing most of the recruitment, but I also, you know, I didn't want him to be the only one doing that sort of thing. Um, so, so I did kind of go out and I, and I was very careful about picking, like I, I knew I wanted to approach people that, that were established in the horror space, you know, had a horror audience. I knew that they could deliver quality because we definitely wanted to have a quality book. Um, so I wanted to be familiar with their work, know that they, they did horror and know that they, um, that they could deliver good stuff. But then, you know, but, but also I was open to, to working with writers who maybe, um, maybe didn't have a whole lot of experience, but, but I knew they loved horror. I knew they had an audience. I knew they could bring something to the table and that I could also kind of help develop. And so that was also fun. Like, getting scripts and giving feedback on the scripts and, and massaging the scripts. And, and we didn't do a whole lot of pairing artists, but there were some times where it was like, okay, well, who, you know, what, what kind of artists would be great with this? And so, um, you know, I think about um, Phil Butehorn, who did a story called Dinner with Blobby, which is sort of this, um, this 1950s kind of creature feature. And, um, and Phil and I had, you know, worked on the script. I edited the script and, and it was really something cool. I thought, and, and he was kind of talking about like, well, what artist should we get? And he had, he had worked on a short before that I had lettered and, um, Don Cardenas did the art and I thought, well, you know, that guy might be a really good match. And so, um, it actually, it turned out perfectly. They, the Don turned in a great, uh, version of the story. And like that, that to me to see that script 
come from like Phil making, you know, pitching like seven ideas and Phil's like, you know, such an enthusiastic guy. Uh, he came in with literally like seven pitches and it was like, okay, well, we, you know, we, we don't like these. We don't like these. We already got something like that. Can you, um, if you can take, you know, if you can take this story and do it in this style or that story and do it in this style, you know, we'd like that. And so that's how we kind of narrowed it down to this thing. But to see that go from, from pitch to script to then finding an artist to then, you know, working with the coloring of that. Um, and I'm just, I'm just using Phil's as an, as an example, but, um, but that was really gratifying and a whole lot of fun. And then to see people turning in stories and seeing them come in and how amazing they are. I mean, everything's fantastic. So that's been, it's just been hugely gratifying. Yeah. Uh, another big shout out to Phil. Phil's another great guy. I know um, I got to get him on here uh, at some point, but yeah, it's uh, I, I could imagine it's got to be really cool. I've been on a, a couple anthologies myself and just seeing the, the team, the overall, you know, um, enthusiasm of everyone involved. It's just been really cool to be a part of uh, myself. Um, and it was really cool um, to to work with the the artist that I'm working with. Her name's Donna Black. She's from Ireland. and uh, She did was, a great uh, job. Oh, thank you. Yeah, she, uh, you know, it's a, it's a funny story. Um, I was a fan of hers for a long time, just kind of just following her on the internet. And I was, uh, I was doing fulfillment on the Manison Kickstarter and I'm like going through it and I'm like, Donna Black, where do I know that name from? And she, what happened to be, she happened to back the Kickstarter and I didn't oh, know. That's awesome. And so she was a fan of my work. And so it was one of those things. And I wanted to re reach out to her and I wanted to work with her in some, in some shape, way or form, but I just didn't have a project. And so when, mm -hmm. when you approached me uh, with this opportunity, I'm like, I'm going to Donna. And I was like, <laughs> immediately just, I just, I just messaged her out of the blue and she's just like, uh, who are you? <laughs> like, not, but like, and then I was like, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then we, she made that connection and it was, it, it worked out great. And uh, I was really, really excited, uh, you know, with the story we came up with and, and, and her work on it. So it was, um, yeah, was, well, first off, I, I said already, but thank you for giving me this, you know, the opportunity to be a part of no, it. Thank you for being a part of the insanity. It's uh, your story is great, and it's just for everyone listening. It's called the Cricket Man, and it's uh, Donna Black did the art, DC Hopkins did the lettering, um, and it's uh, it's cool. It has such a unique look, which I think is is really cool. Um, you know, what I loved about doing this book is that. Once all the stories started coming in and, and realizing, you know, we didn't really have a whole lot of overlap in the types of horror. And part of that was by design because we were approving pitches in the beginning. So we kind of knew what we were getting, but it was really gratifying to see everything come in and say, like, not only are we not overlapping, like we don't have a million vampire stories, you know, or you know, whatever, twinkly vampires, um, you know, but, but not only that, but the visuals of the stories were so different. They, they were so vastly different. And so I think, um, I think people are going to be knocked out when they see your story. It's, it's, a, it's a great story. Donna did a fantastic job on it. It, it has such a unique look. I, I think it, I'm really excited for people to see it. Thank you. Thank you. It was, uh, it was awesome. And it's, it's just been great to kind of see some of the, the stories come in. Like I'm 
really, I cannot wait to read uh, Richard Fairgrave's story. Just oh, the, man. Uh, he, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm actually, he's actually, uh, he was actually on the podcast um, uh, a couple episodes ago. And oh. I, um, it hasn't been released. It'll actually be released on Thursday of this week when we're recording. So it'll be a couple weeks after or whatever. Okay. Uh, yeah. any, anyways, we, he was telling me about the story. And I was, uh, and then I went back on the uh, the Facebook group and kind of looked at the images, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like, if out of all of them, that's the one that I cannot wait to read. Like he's, <laughs> it's, yeah, he's, he's it, awesome. He is absolutely amazing. I, I, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, that's gonna be. You know what? I, I got to tell you that I'm definitely gonna listen to that episode of the podcast. I can't wait to hear what he has to say. He. Um, I didn't, I didn't know him. He's somebody Dave brought in and, um, and yeah, his story, uh, you're, you're, <laughs> it's going to knock your socks off. It's, uh, it's such, it's such a weird little slice of just everyday terror. Um, and it's just, you know, he takes this, he takes this kind of normal everyday thing that that like there's something just just a hair off about it enough so that you kind of go you know what's that and then he keeps scratching at it and scratching at it and scratching at it until he really like gets under your skin and it i i think that story's gonna uh really knock out a lot of people that's um that's definitely one of my favorites in the book it's it's so unique and so different but just super creepy and his art style is is just perfect yeah, I, you know, uh, when, when I had him on the podcast, um, before, before having him on the podcast, I, um, I didn't know a, a whole lot about him. And then, um, I, I, I read some of his work and then he came on the podcast after that. And he's just, um, I'm just a huge fanboy of him, of his, like his work is like absolutely incredible. And the fact that he, did you know that he's, uh, um, that he's like legally blind? And he draws and and, and no. colors everything. Yeah. Are you kidding me? No. No. Wow. Legally... I'm I'm even more impressed because his art is incredible. Yeah. So unless he was, I I don't think he was bullshitting me. But <laughs> uh, like like yeah. Uh, but I guess he gets like really close to the page, and that's how he does it. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. I I'm definitely gonna seek out more of his work because it really. Um, yeah, that that story just knocked me out. It's it's very, he 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 didn't have a title for it at first, and he wound up calling it uh, "Colonels All the Way Down." But we but uh, he <laughs> Dave Schrader suggested uh, macabre, as in <laughs> as in corn cob, um, which I which I kind of liked. I I was pushing for that, but uh, but he decided for Colonels all the way down. But uh, but yeah, that's definitely it's definitely a standout story. Yeah, I uh, I can't wait for you know there's there's a uh, a tons tons of stories in there. Um, so what's it been like to kind of on the project management side of this? You talked about it a little bit, but what has it been like trying to corral? What do you have like over thirty plus creators? Like, yeah, it's, like, well, it's, that's got to be insane. Like, I can't even fathom the amount of project management that you're probably going through. It's 35 creative teams. So that, you know, in the case of Richard Fairbray, <laughs> he's he's a one-man band. He does everything. But, you know, in, in other, like David Pepos, 
um, you know, he's working with Erica Durso and, um, and Rosh, who does the colors, and um, is it Justin Birch, maybe, on the letters? Um, and it, it's just, um, you know, that's, that's four people you know, suddenly that, that you're kind of coordinating. Although we're mostly, you know, we mostly would deal with like the, the writers because we approached writers that we knew that worked in horror and then, and then mostly relied on them to, to bring in, you know, artists that they were comfortable working with. But it's, I mean, it's a lot of work. It's, you know, we started talking about this last year and I think I said, you know, Dave is a guy who has a lot of ideas and he wants to do them all yesterday. And, um, and one of the great things about working in the comics launch course is that I've learned from Tyler just to slow down, you know, do everything at a nice pace, plan ahead. And so I said to him, I was like, look, if we're going to do this, let's do this in October. We're going to launch in October. We can start approaching people now. Let's give them a deadline and, um, and, you know, work, work off the deadlines and we'll just see who, whoever turns in something by the deadline. And we, we had a deadline for submitting pitches. We had a deadline for submitting finished stories. And we just said, you know, whoever, whoever comes in under the deadline, they're, you know, they're in the book. And if they don't, and if they don't, they, they're not. And, um, COVID kind of messed some of that planning up. Um, and we knew that people were going to need more time. Um, and that actually worked out perfectly fine for me because I was, I was swamped, um, with, with dead skins and, and red Xmas and doing, doing fulfillment and, and a campaign. And so, you know, for, for me, it worked out fine. Cause I was a little, I was a little bit behind Dave in terms of contacting creators. So it was great that like we were extending the deadline anyway. Um, but, but the thing is, is that you give people a deadline and, um, and especially I think with, with some of the, the caliber of the talent that we had involved, people that said yes, um, you know, then people wanted to be involved for sure. And I think people, people want to meet the deadlines. They want to be in the book. And then especially once people start seeing pages come back, then I think that started making people feel like, okay, I got to up my game. You know, I, I don't, you know, it's like, uh, you know, the, the Beatles coming out with revolver and then, you know, the beach boys come out with pet sounds and then it's Sergeant Peppers, you know, it's like, it's like everybody, it, it, it fosters that sense of healthy competition. Um, and so I think having, having the private Facebook group where everybody could communicate, I think was really helpful in terms of that. Um, you know, Dave's done a lot of work in, in corralling, you know, he started, he had an Excel spreadsheet of everybody he had, he had reached out to, and we were just kind of marking it off. And we even, you know, even up until fairly recently, we, um, you know, we weren't sure was, is this person going to be in the book or they're not going to be in the book? Um, because we did at, at a certain point, you know, there were people who had said, you know, oh no, I'm, I'm definitely doing something, but um, you know, and they're, they're, they have enough of an audience that certainly we wanted their participation, but, um, but as it got closer and closer to the deadline, they weren't going to be able to, to come through. And so, you know, we had to say, okay, well, we'll get you on the next volume. But then there were people who I think, you know, that we reached out to initially who weren't available 
and and didn't think they were going to have time. But then I think once they started seeing some of the enthusiasm and, and the caliber of the people involved were then like, oh, no, I, I want to be a part of this. So, I mean, in, in a way that just just the enthusiasm that people had for it made my job so much easier. And um, and yeah, it's a lot of work putting together an anthology, but it's uh, it's also like this is what I got into this for. So I, I kind of live for it. Yeah, and it's uh, the reception so far has been great. I, I think it's only been live for as you know we're recording this a couple hours, and uh, it's already you know it's it, I've literally my entire social media feed has been Nightmare Theater. Like I haven't been able <laughs> to like you can't escape it. Yeah, it's 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 everywhere, which is a good thing, you know. Uh, it's uh, you know, um, a lot of people have reached out to me. A lot of uh, um, some of my fans, and they they said they're excited about the book, and they, you know, it's I'm super excited for it. So it's just it's just really been awesome, um, you know, working on it, working with you. It's it's uh, it's been great. Yeah, thank you. I, I'm so glad that you're a part of it, and I appreciate you you sharing and sending out to your email list today. Um, you know, because that's what drives it is is all the individual creators. They bring their own fans to it, and so if they're excited about the project and they're sharing it, and people can sense that enthusiasm, that's going to bring in people more than just you know one guy banging the drum saying, "Hey, please back my Kickstarter." Um, and, and we're, um, yeah, it's doing, it's doing great. We're, uh, we're a little over halfway. We, we decided, we actually just last night decided to up the goal. Um, we had it, uh, we had it at 10,666 and we were just kind of talking. We were like, you know what, if we're going to make that, we'll make 13,666. And that's, um, that's what we decided to go to go with because it seems a little more, a little more thematic. But yeah, we're a little uh, bit more on brand, on brand. <laughs> a little more on brand. And so we're, um, you know, we're a little bit more than halfway and the day's not over yet. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see where we wind up after the first 24 hours, but we're tracking great. It's everything's looking fantastic. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's doing well. Uh, I, I love the video, too, of it. Oh, um, thanks. Yeah, the, the real life uh, Shelly Post uh, Stoker. Stoker, right? yeah. 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 That's very, very cool. Uh, very cool touch. Um, awesome. And that was that was Dave's idea. He, um, well, I, I think actually what happened was he posted, Kyle, Kyle Roberts designed the character and he drew the main cover. And Dave posted Kyle's cover, I think, on Instagram. And this actress saw it. And Dave had David worked with her before uh, on on something something else. Actually, I think I think she played one of the characters from Baby Badass in their video, and so she wrote Dave like immediately and was like, "I have to play this character in your video." And then it became like, "Okay, well, how how can we do this? How can we get her to shoot this?" And um, and Dave had a friend who was a cinematographer who you know was was willing to do it. And uh, I don't know if he, he also did sound or if they had, you know, somebody else doing sound, but they, they did the whole shebang. She went all out getting the costume. Uh, in fact, we, somebody wrote us today and said, you know, look, horror is not really my thing, but if you do a cosplay cover with that actress, I'm totally buying this book. And so we we're like, oh, well, okay, maybe we should think about that. Um, That's awesome. <laughs> but she she went all out. The costume is fantastic. 
and they had a they had a fog machine and and lights like it, it it they really did a fantastic job with it. No, it was it was awesome, and it's one of those things when I was watching it. Um, like first off, like besides being a creator, I'm a you know I'm a fan first, and so right. like just just like looking at all the different artists, like if I wasn't a part of of this, I would still want it. Like it's one of those things. Like I'm a fan of of a lot of the creators, like I said, Richard Fergray and, and David Pepos and uh, Russell Nolte. There's, I mean, there's uh, James Powell. Like there's, there's so many people that I'm personally fans of that, that right. are part of this. Um, and just seeing the book, um, like the hardcover and, and all the rewards, I'm like, man, I, I would, um, you know, if I wasn't a part of this, I'd be, you know, wanting, wanting to back it regardless. And then, and then the video, I'm just like, did they, draw the cover character from her like i i didn't know like who came first the chicken or the egg i'm like this is like this is genius like whatever this is this works yeah no kyle, kyle designed the character first and and uh, sarah begged to play it so it, yeah she did a fantastic job and then that really was like putting to editing the video and and taking her parts with you know we knew we just wanted to showcase the book because the book really is the selling point i mean it's all these fantastic creators and all these great stories so we knew i we just wanted to put in as many visuals as possible from that dave did this great vincent price kind of voice <laughs> that's sort of like uh you know the the thriller bit um that i that i just sort of layered over the images from the book um, and then, you know, we, sh we shot our little cameos and, and then had, uh, had Shelly Postoker bring us out of it. But yeah, it, it tied together really well. It worked well. Yeah, it was, uh, so far, you know, it, it's just been, been an awesome experience. Um, one thing I, I did want to ask you, and I, I kind of went off on a different tangent, but I kind of want to circle back to it. Yeah. Um, you were receiving a bunch of pitches and a as a, as an editor, like, what did you see that worked with the pitches that you received? What did you, um, what didn't work? Like, what advice can you give people that are pitching? Like, how is that different? Because obviously you're in a different role, right? Usually you're probably sure. the one putting pitches together. Like, what advice could you give people and what did you learn from that? Yeah, it was, that's a great question because it was so good to see it from the other side. And that's something that, you know, they, they always tell you in, um, in acting school actually is like, if you want to, if you really want to learn how to, how to book a job as an actor, go cast something. Or, uh, you know, if you can't do that, at least go and be a reader in a casting session. So you're the person off camera reading with the auditioner, um, or the auditionee, um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so seeing that process, seeing the pitches come in. Um, was really fascinating. Like there were times where we were turning down pitches because, you know, well, hey, that was already a famous story and creepy. Like you can't do that again. Um, and it's like, you know, the writer, the writer wasn't trying to rip off creepy. They weren't even aware of it. You know, they thought they had come up with this great twist, but it's like, no, that, that twist has been done before. And it's a very famous story. And if we redo it, you know, people will be howling. Um, so, so just sort of that, that, so from that experience being like, okay, well, I, you really have to do your homework, know what you're pitching to, um, and, and know what's already been done before so that you're not repeating yourself. 
The other thing that I would say is that, you know, we just had certain, we just had certain criteria. It's like, you know, Phil pitched one story that I thought was great. I, I, I actually thought it was, you know, probably his strongest in terms of a pitch because it had a main character that you could kind of root for and they had an arc and, you know, um, and I'll, I'll circle, circle back to this thought. I'll, I'll, I'll finish the one I started and then come back to, uh, what that reminded me of. But, um, but he had a, he had a pitch that I loved that I thought was really great. But, you know, Dave was like, we're, he rejected it out of hand because he was like, this, this hits too close to home with what people are going through right now. Um, it was, uh, it was like a horror that took place in a nursing home. And mm. I think with COVID and, and so many of our seniors, unfortunately dying right now that it was just like, Dave didn't want to go there. And, um, and like, I can't blame him. You know, I, I agreed with him. I was like, yeah, well, I mean, once he said that, it's like, yeah, you're right. Like we can't, you know, not to say that the story didn't have value. It absolutely had value, but, um, but Dave did, that's not the, that's not what Dave wanted to put out right now. You know, we, we wanted to put out something that would, um, make people forget about their troubles for a while, not remind them of it. And so, um, you know, so we said, Phil, you know, I, I can't, we can't accept this pitch, but if you can do this other one in this 1950s style, we will. And, um, you know, looking at looking at the pitches that came in just in terms of, you know, what else we were looking for, because like, right, like that wasn't in Phil's control. Phil came up with the best story he could. It's not his fault that that's not what we were looking for. Right. And he shouldn't feel bad that we rejected it because he didn't do anything wrong. He it just so happened that that was not a story we wanted to include. But, you know, looking at other pitches what um what might have differentiated some from the others was just you know how how fully fleshed out are these pitches right like some people would would come in and they just kind of have one line that didn't really tell you much of a story and it's like you know there's there's some people where you go all right you know what david avalone you know or david pepos they can have a high concept pitch and I totally, like, I know your work. I'm familiar enough with your work to know that you're a professional. You're going to come in with a great story. And I don't, I don't really have to worry about this, right? Like, I'm not going to ask you to really flesh this out. But if you're someone whose who's work, you know, I, I wasn't as familiar with, or, you know, I, I, just, I just wanted to see more. I just wanted to know, like, okay, this sounds great. Can you pull it off in a satisfying story? Because this is the other thing. I, I was really adamant that this book be self-contained that like, I fully recognize that there are plenty of people who are submitting stories, who, who have stories in this book that, that want to develop these into bigger properties. And I think they should. I was always adamant that if we're going to sell people a book and call it an anthology, I want them to get a bunch of complete stories. I don't want them to feel like they just watched a trailer for something that they then have to go buy, you know, five issues of further down the line. So, so there were definitely times where I felt like, okay, I, 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 I like you. I like your work. I've, I've read some of your work. 
and I and I like you enough that you know I certainly want you in this anthology, but I I I just need you to flesh this out for me a little bit more. I need I need to know what this full story is going to be, and I think that was great because it forced people to kind of come back and and like really think some things through. And sometimes they said, oh, you know what? I sat down and I started thinking that out, and it just didn't work, you know. And it was like. Yeah, I kind of I kind of could tell that from the from the pitch and that's why I asked you to develop it further. Like if you could if you could show me something I wasn't seeing, then that's great. But um but I I really need you to pitch me a full story, beginning, middle and end. You're not you're not trying to sell me on the high concept. High concept is great, but but again, like there are certain people that, and, and I think it's probably the same for an Image or a DC or a Marvel or whatever. It's like there are certain creators that can't, Brian Bendis can get away with, with like a one-line pitch for Superman because it's like Brian Bendis and Superman, of course, right? Um, I but, wonder if that was his pitch. Like like he wrote out the words Brian Bendis and <laughs> Superman. And just like, like, I really hope that was it. And then he like, he old, old school faxed it over to them. Like before he left Marvel and just waited, waited for the like contract to come in. It, it would have been a brilliant pitch. You know, I would have bought it. And, yeah. and, and I think, you know, I, but I think that, that what a lot of, a lot of younger writers who are trying to break in don't understand is that they can't get away with that. Right. And it's like, I, I don't I don't need you to wow me with a great high concept that I don't know you can fulfill. So what I what I really wanted to see was, can you tell me in a, you know, in a paragraph in three sentences what your story is? Fine. Give me a high concept log line, but tell me a story that identifies the character, why I care with that, care about them, what they want, what they're up against and how it came out. I don't want the ending to be a surprise. I want to know that this is going to be a satisfying conclusion. And um, and so for me, that was really my driving criteria. And I think it I think it forced some people to kind of up their game. And um, uh, not you know not not that it, it may have been that they would have turned in something brilliant. But like I said, a few people came back and they were like, you know what? I, I started developing this, and I I see where the weaknesses are, and and I think I'd rather do this other thing. And, uh, and that worked out great because, you know, we wound up getting better stories than we might have. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's really interesting. I like that you said that, you know, if, even if a pitch gets rejected, it's not your fault, right? Like, yeah. like um, there were so many times early on in the, in it, when I was pitching Man of Sin that so many, not so many, but a, a, a couple publishers actually reached out to me and they're like, I love your book. It's just not for us. And it's like, yeah, that's okay too, right? Like, yeah, there's nothing, absolutely. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, it doesn't mean that your story's bad. It doesn't mean that your concept's bad. And I think when you're first starting out, um, that's one of the biggest kind of mental hurdles or kind of something that you just need to understand. It's like, right. you're not going to bat a thousand and that's okay. And even if you like strike out, that doesn't mean it's a bad at bat. Like it's still, you know, right. even though you're out, it doesn't, you know, it's just learning to reframe your mind in that way. Um, is I think really, really important. Uh, and it, it had to have been really, really cool to kind of go from the initial concepts and the pitches to then seeing the artwork and getting it back in a finished story 
like from your end, that's got to feel like a whole nother different kind of creative itch that you scratch that um, it's got to be really, really cool. It's so gratifying. It really is so gratifying. And, and, you know, a lot of people, there were plenty of people like, like Pepos even said, he was like, you know, when you asked me to do this anthology, I thought I'm not really a horror writer. I don't, I don't have any horror stories, but then he, then he laid down in bed and was like, Oh, I've got this great idea. I think I have to write this. And, um, and David Avalone, um, who does, uh, who does drawing blood with Kevin Eastman and Elvira. Um, he, he even said, he was like, you know, I, he, he writes, you know, for, for big companies and, and, and things like that. But he, he knew he was like, I couldn't tell this story anywhere else. He said, I was so excited when you asked me to be a part of this, because I thought this is a story that I've been dying to tell that I, I have nowhere else to tell it. And, you know, that part too has been so gratifying, you know, to, to find to find that people were just excited to have an outlet. You know, Charlie Stickney, I was talking to him yesterday and and I was like, you know, I, I need to get your contract back. And he was like, oh, contracts. I didn't even realize you had one. I was like, yeah, you know, we posted the Facebook group, may not have seen it. And he said, uh, he was like, no, I'm, I'm doing this for fun. You know, he's like, I, I'm having a blast writing the story and having Mick Byers draw it and Gab Contreras uh, color it. And and, you know, he's like, I'm I'm just having fun, uh, you know, the legal stuff, like whatever. Um, and th like that, that has also been super gratifying that it's like people want to be a part of this. They want to tell stories. And I think that shows through in the quality of the stuff that's that's come out. Yeah, for sure. Like I I. I didn't want to say I forgot, but like when I start like naming people that like, I can't wait to see their stories. It's like, yeah, how can I not want to, I can't wait to read uh, Charlie Stigney's story. Like, like, yeah. What well, come on, like just some of the names you're naming, it's just like incredible. And it's really cool to kind of be a part of that myself, like to be in a book with them. Right. Like that's, that's really cool on my end. Um, so I, I guess before we get out of here, Clay, um, where can people reach you? Where can people get the book? Where can people get Pride Comics? All that, all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So I am best reached on Twitter at Clay's Evil Twin. Um, you can find my Fried Comics work at friedcomics.com. And if you sign up for our mailing list, you can get three free digital comics to download. Actually, four because you get a, a secret fourth one. So shh, secrets out. Um, and then uh, you can get Nightmare Theater on Kickstarter. You can uh, you can go to bit.ly bit.ly slash Nightmare Theater, and that'll take you right there and uh, pledge. It's a great book, more than 225 pages, 35 creative teams, just a fantastic array of talent. Uh, a great great book. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. I had an absolutely awesome time talking to Clay. Make sure you check out the Kickstarter for Nightmare Theater. And before you go, please, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give us a rating and a review. We'd always love to hear from our fans. And if you want issue one of my hit indie comic series, Man of Sin, as well as to get uh, access to these podcasts early, as well as behind the scenes, uh, information you could sign up for our exclusive fan list at aguildy.com forward slash free comic that's a g u i l d e dot com forward slash 
free comic until we meet again. Clay.